Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. All right, really, really good to be together. And today we're coming to the Word of God and we're coming to the final message in a series we've been walking through called A Beautiful Design, uh, God's Intention for the Family as the Foundation of Society. And as we've been seeing, when the family is in trouble in any society, in any civilization, the society itself is in trouble. And that's what we've been walking through. We began our series by looking at the family as the foundational institution of society established through marriage. That was message number one, marriage. One biological man, one biological woman for the glory of God according to his design. In the second message of the series, we looked at the family as a foundational institution of society, uh, not only established through marriage, but we saw commissioned to have children uh, physically and uh, spiritually. We saw that a few weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the family as the foundational institution of society, and we saw the reality that the family, the way God has designed it, has been devastated by sin. And we spent some time last week uncovering what the Bible has to say about the controversial issue of abortion and how this issue of abortion has a direct impact on families and societies and civilizations. And today we bring our series to a close by looking at the family as the foundational institution of society restored by the gospel, restored by the gospel. And today we're going to take a special look at the issue of adoption, adoption as a picture and a reflection of the restoring power of the gospel upon families. Because while we saw it's true, the family has been devastated by sin and societies as a result collapsing all over the world. We are not without hope. The gospel is a gospel of hope. And so today we see this reality. The family, yes, the foundational institution of society restored and being restored by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So lots of hope coming our way. Let's jump in. I want you to take your Bible right now and go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand, and one of the ushers at the back would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hands, and if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life radically changed by the Word of God. You can keep your hand up, and the ushers will find you as long as your hand is up. Matthew chapter 1, starting from verse 18, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 2, verse 16. Appropriately for this time of year, we're heading into the Christmas story this morning. And what we may find in the Christmas story uh, today for our subject uh, may surprise us. So I want everyone's eyes on a copy of God's Word. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 1, starting from verse 18. Look at it with me. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, listen, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or, young, or under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. Okay, a big portion of Scripture today, no doubt a familiar story, 
the Christmas story, but in this story, we're going to draw some truth that is for all of us, that is for us as individuals and families and married couples and as a church collectively, truth maybe that you haven't seen before, truth pertaining to the issue of adoption. I want you to make a note of this if you're making notes here. Adoption, I want you to make a note of this, reflects the fatherhood of God. Adoption reflects the fatherhood of God. You say, you just read the Christmas story. I know what that story is all about. What does that have to do with adoption? Well, here's the fact. At Christmas time, churches everywhere, including our church, will often refer in some way to this narrative, and rightfully so. And the story and the season revolves around the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we take time during the Christmas series, looking at this narrative to focus on Mary and the vantage point of Mary. Or sometimes we take time to focus on the wise men, the vantage point of the wise men. Or even sometimes, even like last year, I remember, we take time to focus on King Herod and his role. Very often we go to Luke's account of the story and we spend time talking about the shepherds and how the announcement of the arrival of the Son of God came to the lowliest of all the people on the earth. We often take time to focus on these things. But I realized this week that I don't think I've ever heard the vantage point of Joseph. I don't think I've ever heard the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph. Maybe you have, but I don't remember hearing it. And Joseph, a just man, betrothed to be, to, to be married to Mary, as we've seen, his whole life ahead of him, all kinds of dreams and plans and hopes for his future and his family. This is the Joseph we find here, filled with anticipation and hope for what's ahead until in this narrative we find his life gets flipped upside down. I want to look at the text one more time, the word of God living and active. Notice Matthew 1, 18 to 25, and then we're going to draw some truth. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way when the mother uh, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. To Joseph, the angel says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is marvelous. I want you to consider the scene, loved ones. I want you to consider the narrative, and maybe from the angle of Joseph for the first time. A completely shocking turn of events for Joseph. This is not the news that he was expecting during his betrothal period to Mary. And it's not what he expected for his life. Joseph's world is being flipped upside down. And so Joseph's initial instincts, I think, were correct and understandable upon hearing that Mary was pregnant. The only explanation was that she'd been promiscuous. 
She's found pregnant. She must have been an adulteress. That's the only explanation, and that's what everyone would have thought, including Joseph. This is not what he had planned for. But the text tells us, being a just man, he had compassion on Mary, and so he planned to end the relationship quietly. He didn't want to make a fuss. He didn't want to put her to shame until Joseph heard from God. Joseph hears from God through an angel. The angel appears, and Joseph was confronted with a choice to bail out on his newly pregnant future wife and the child, or to obey and bear the responsibility. Now, this is not a detail I want us to skip over too quickly. To obey and to bear the responsibility for a child that is not yours, that's what Joseph is doing here. Remember, we're looking at the vantage point of Joseph. To obey and bear the responsibility for a child that is not yours biologically is to embrace a life of sacrifice and struggle, and it's to evidence a life of great faith, because in light of this surprising news, Joseph knows that this is not going to be easy. Joseph's aware now that this is not going to be an easy life. This child that he's been asked to take care of, it's going to put him on the run to Egypt. That would mean he'd have to lose his livelihood that he probably took his whole life to build and establish where he was. This child was going to create speculations and rumors. Joseph and Mary were were going to be subject of uh, wagging fingers and pointed fingers and people judging them. This child was going to cause tremendous heartache and pain because of the nature of who this child is and the calling of this child. Here's what I want you to understand and see, maybe afresh from this Christmas story. Joseph obeys and bears the responsibility. Joseph essentially adopts baby Jesus to be his own in the face of tremendous cost to himself. Now, let's just stop for a moment here to consider just how uh, countercultural, certainly this would have been in that context, but countercultural as well for our context. Ours, loved ones, is a Christianity of convenience, isn't it? That's the Christianity that marks many churches and even evangelicalism in our day. Ours is a Christianity of consumerism, isn't it? What's in it for me? How can I minimize the sacrifice? How can I minimize the cost to live this Christian life? How can I just make sure all the obstacles are out of the way? Sure, I'll follow Jesus. Sure, I'll put my faith in him if there's minimal cost to me. But the reality is that the vast majority of us never really see the Reality of the struggle and the cost and the layers upon layers of complexity that Joseph would have been experiencing here, but that also many families, many Christian families, live out in the process of adopting a child. Joseph exemplifies this 
in a countercultural way. Many couples, even in our church, exemplify this in a countercultural way. An embracing of a cost, a placing of their faith in Jesus Christ in such a way that would bear tremendous fruit. Joseph is an example of considering of this cost. I want you to consider the costs of adoption, for example. There are many financial costs in our days. Thousands and thousands of dollars just to get the process going with no guarantee of a match. Just like Joseph, many Christians in our day consider this cost. And they follow the example of Joseph to reflect the fatherhood of God in the life of another child. Personal privacy is sacrificed. Adoptive families open their entire lives up to scrutiny. The finances are scrutinized. Their home life is scrutinized. Their fitness to be parents is placed under a microscope. What a sacrifice. What a cost. The cost that Joseph exemplifies in reflecting the fatherhood of God is being lived out by many Christians in our day, in a day of a convenient Christianity. In a day of a Christianity that is marked by consumerism. To build a a culture of adoption in the church, loved ones, will be to build a culture of great faith and trust, modeled by Joseph here and imitated by many in the church of Jesus Christ in these days, in ways that so many of us don't even know. To build a culture of adoption in our church, loved ones, will be to build a culture of faith and trust and prayer, and this is not easy. And Joseph knows in our narrative that it is not going to be easy, but he obeys, and he bears the responsibility, and the implications are massive. So, why do we do it? Why should Christians consider being involved in adoption in some way? Why should we consider uh, following the example of Joseph as he reflects the fatherhood of God? Why should we consider how to cultivate a culture of adoption here in our church? Well, maybe a good reason is to consider that in 2011, for example, it was reported that there were about 30,000 children under the age of 14 in foster care in Canada. Just consider that. As many of us come to church with a mindset of what's in it for me, what's in it for me, as you consider this fact, 30,000 children under the age of 14 in Canada, uh, no family, no parents, in many cases, no hope. Or maybe we should consider the tragedy that in 2021, for example, out of The 8,600 children in foster care, only 595 public adoptions were completed. That leaves over 8,000 children still with no parents, no family, no security, no hope. Or maybe we should consider that there are over 14 million orphans living in various different conditions all over the world. Many of them will die. No parents, no families, no hope, no future. But probably the most compelling 
reason we should consider why why be a church that cultivates a culture of adoption? Well, maybe we should consider seriously that there's really no better way to reflect the fatherhood of God, to expose the world to the grace and love of God, to bring the gospel of Jesus to the lives of people in the most personal way. There's really no better way than to follow in the example of Joseph, to be involved somehow in adoption. After all, spiritually speaking, it is we ourselves, all of us who were orphans, destitute, bankrupt, separated from God. And we ourselves as Christians, the Christian church, why should the Christian church be passionate about this? Why should the Christian church be serious about adoption? Why should the Christian church be serious about reflecting the fatherhood of God? Well, the reality is we have been recipients of the adopting love and grace of God. We have been adopted by God. On the screen, Ephesians 1.5 says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And you and I, loved ones, sit here today, if you're a Christian, restored to our Father by faith in Jesus Christ, saved by the grace of Jesus, our sin debt canceled by the work of Jesus, adopted into the family of God. And here's this beautiful way, modeled for us by Joseph in the most profound and theologically rich way. This way to demonstrate and to reflect the fatherhood of God, the love of God, and taking us, we who were once illegitimate children spiritually, and making us sons and daughters. So this is what adoption pictures. And we see it reflected and pictured in Joseph. It reflects the fatherhood of God. But there's something else. Adoption reflects the fatherhood of God. Secondly and finally, I want you to see this. Adoption resists the plans of Satan. I want you to listen to me closely here. Adoption resists and restrains the plans of Satan. Not only do we see a reflection and a picture of the fatherhood of God in Joseph's adoption of Jesus Christ, but we see something else playing out. Once again in Scripture, we see the sovereignty and the providence of God at work here in the Christmas narrative. We see God using an ordinary man to fulfill his extraordinary plan for the world, namely to preserve and protect the lineage of Abraham. That's what's playing out here. Leading here ultimately to the Messiah and the bringing about of God's promised blessing to all the families of the nations of the world. There's something deeply profound unfolding here in the Christmas narrative. 
And so scripture demonstrates how this plan of God is unfolding, leading to the Messiah who will take on the burden and the penalty for the sins of the world, who will bring about this promised blessing to all nations, salvation for everybody. There's just one problem. As Russell Moore puts it, what God has pronounced as a blessing way back in Genesis chapter 12 and being fulfilled here through the birth of Jesus Christ, what God has pronounced as a blessing, Satan always sees as a curse. And so there's something bigger going on here in Joseph's adoption story, and there's something I want you to know that's bigger going on in every adoption story. Adoption is not only about reflecting the fatherhood of God. It is that. But adoption, I want you to know, is all out spiritual warfare. Adoption is all out war. There is a real spiritual war that is raging over families and children. And this, loved ones, has always been the case. I want you to notice Matthew 2, verse 16. It says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were under two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So understand what's happening here. Herod hears about the birth of the newborn king. He understands from Old Testament prophecy the blessing that this is. But remember, what God has pronounced as a blessing, Satan always sees as a curse. And King Herod declares war on the baby. And whether Joseph realizes it or not in the moment, this is an all-too-familiar scene. And whether we realize it or not, this is a perpetually reoccurring theme. In Exodus 1, for example, the offspring of Abraham multiplied greatly in the land of Egypt. God's creation mandate was being fulfilled. His purpose of bringing blessing to every nation through the offspring of Abraham was unfolding. But remember what God has pronounced as a blessing. Satan sees as a curse. And all the way back in Exodus chapter 1, we see the beginnings leading to Pharaoh seeing this multiplying Israelite people not as a blessing, but as a threat. And so he begins to slaughter babies. Here in Matthew 1 and 2, the offspring of Abraham has been sovereignly and providentially preserved. The blessing of all blessings has come. The Lord Jesus Christ, the offspring of the woman. And God's plan to bless the nations of the world through Jesus Christ is unfolding. But you have to remember... What God has pronounced as a blessing, Satan sees as a curse. And King Herod in our text today, just like Pharaoh in the Exodus, sees the offspring of Abraham not as a blessing, but as a threat. And so he slaughters the babies in the land. On the one hand, loved ones, you have God's unfolding 
and unstoppable plan to bless the nations of the world, ultimately through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. On the other hand, you have satanic opposition perceiving a threat, and right in the middle, loved ones, right in the middle of this cosmic struggle, you have millions and millions of slaughtered babies and devastated families. Well, what does this mean? Well, it means a lot for us. Because all we need to do is look around to see that Satan has no new tricks up his sleeve. None. And just like Pharaoh, who thought himself to be a god, opposed the pronounced blessing of God by slaughtering babies, and just like Herod, who thought himself to be a god, opposed the pronounced blessing of God by slaughtering babies, so it is in our culture today, whether it be individuals or political powers or corporate giants or Hollywood celebrities, our culture bows the knee to the idol of self, perceiving the self to be a god. Opposing the pronounced blessing of God through the slaughtering of babies. Pharaoh slaughtered babies to guard his position as the world's superpower. Herod slaughtered babies to guard his position as king of the Jews. Our culture slaughters babies to guard whatever self-exalting purpose a little defenseless baby could possibly stand in the way of. Not only does adoption reflect the fatherhood of God, but adoption resists and restrains and pushes back this murderous, demonic, satanic plan of Satan. And you see it if you just open your eyes. We talked about this last week. In the millions and millions and millions of precious little children that are thought to be a hindrance, a distraction, what God has pronounced a blessing in little children, Psalm 127. Our culture sees as a threat. And here we find the cosmic struggle. Here we find the spiritual battle waging. Here we find this war raging to devastate families and to destroy babies. And what adoption does, adoption steps in to resist that plot, to resist that plan, to rescue little ones, to rescue children, to bring them into families, to reflect the fatherhood of God, to push back the plans and the murderous plots of Satan upon families and precious little children. Because you know the plans of Satan we've seen. If he can destroy families, if he can destroy marriages, he can devastate societies and civilizations. And that is what we are seeing unfold in the world today. At the center of it is the destruction of the family as our society here in Canada is on the verge of collapse. It's because the family has been the target of Satan's arrows. 
And so this is why adoption, and this is how adoption resists and restrains and pushes back the destructive purposes of Satan, because every rescued baby and every wanted child and every welcomed orphan, indeed every discipled person, is a devastating blow to his destructive plans and a massive reflection of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to restore families through the church. Through the church. The church is God's idea. The church is God's people. If we can't develop a culture of adoption in the church, if we can't develop a culture that celebrates children in the church, if we can't establish this culture in the church, where will this be established? We are the ones who have been adopted by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who have the light of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who have the compassion of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who see the unfolding purposes of God to redeem the world through the purpose of Jesus Christ. If we don't step in and wake up, no one will. Someone wants to clap so you can join in. And so, loved ones, here's a question. What if we were a church who made it our aim to resist and restrain and push back and combat the murderous plans of Satan by rescuing children everywhere, by cultivating a culture of adoption? What if that's the kind of church we were? Or or what if we were a church that celebrated children and celebrated youth in our Hope Kids ministry, in our worship services, in our youth ministries, throughout our camps and retreats, in our homes, as we fellowship with one another as families through the wonderful work of adoption? Just consider what kind of church we would be. Loved ones, it's true. Sin has devastated families, but I want you to hear this. The devastation of sin is not the end of the story. Satan doesn't have the final word. No. Jesus Christ came into the world, an adopted baby by his father, brought into the lineage of David to bring about salvation to the world, to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, to rise miraculously and victoriously from the grave so that individuals and marriages and families and one day all creation can be restored to God's good and beautiful design. And at the center of what God is doing in the world through the church, you have to wake up to see, is the importance of the family, the family. And as more and more families and as more and more churches and as more and more Christian movements wake up to the power that is available in the gospel to progressively restore what sin has marred and tainted in the fall, we will see this progressive redemption in the lives of so many more people, and precious little children. So we can be part of this glorious and redemptive work by doing everything in our power to reflect the fatherhood of God 
and to resist the plans of Satan, to identify the spiritual battle that's warring and raging through being a church of safe families with little children of the world in many different ways. So, here's a question. What should we do? What should we do? What can you do? What can you do? Well, here's a few ways we want to help you on the screen for you. You can choose to attend the Adoption Information Night and learn more. It's happening on Friday, December 2nd at 7 p.m. at our church offices. You're going to be met there by people who have walked through this process and people who know a lot, who can give you information on what this is and what this means. Not just if you're one looking to be part of adoption by bringing a child into your home, but what other ways can you be involved? You can attend the Adoption Info Night. Second, you can give to the Hope Adoption Fund through our Christmas offering, our Christmas giving online. You know that we're gathering every year. We gather a Christmas offering, and every single penny of the Christmas offering goes towards local and global missions. We don't keep a penny of that. We send it out. We send it locally. We send it globally. We send it to advance the mission of the gospel in our city and all over the world. And part of that this year will go towards our Hope Adoption Fund, which we believe is evangelistic in nature. You can also choose to pray for the orphans of the world. We have a prayer meeting coming up on Sunday, December the 4th. And we're trusting and believing it's going to be a powerful time of worship and prayer where we pray for all of the partners that we've been taking a look at this month, all our ministry partners, the Pregnancy Care Center in Toronto, they need our prayers. Charitable status is under attack right now by the government of Canada, and and they need our prayers. We're going to pray for the Pregnancy Care Center. We're going to pray for the ministry of safe families, that more and more families in our church become safe families to help these precious children. We're going to pray for orphans. We're going to pray that God would change things as it pertains to the issue of abortion. We're going to pray and we're going to believe that the greatest thing we can do is pray. That there's more power in 50 seconds of prayer than in 500 sermons. And so we're going to pray and we're going to worship. And we're going to anticipate that God will do great things. These are some ways that you can be involved. But right now, I'm going to challenge you to do maybe the most imminent thing and consider in your own heart what God would have you do, what God wants you to do. So if you can bow your head with me right now and just get yourself in a posture of reflection. Perhaps God is speaking to you. Now, no doubt there's people here saying, that's a good thought, and I'd never thought of it as a spiritual battle in this way, and I feel really bad for all the children, but I can't possibly, and you're filling in the blanks. Here's my challenge to you. Put away every plausible argument you have and yield your heart to God. God, would you be speaking to me to do something. Would you be challenging me to do something? Would you be leading me? Would you be leading our family 
to do something by way of sacrifice. Just want everybody to be considering that. Chris, you can come up here to get ready. But every single person be considering your own life. Again, you're thinking probably some of you, there's no way I can't do this, and that's not an option, and good for those people who are doing it. But just if you could, we could just put those things away right now. And maybe this is a moment where God speaks to you. What will he have you do? For some, I know I've spoken to many, this has been a burden in your hearts, and maybe God is solidifying something in your heart. For others, perhaps, you've never thought of this, and you're thinking, do you want me to give, Lord, sacrificially this season? Do you want me to lean into the pregnancy care center by way of serving or safe families? What do you want me to do? Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every person here in this room. I pray for our church family. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would, you would be our leader today, that Spirit, you would be our teacher, you would be the one that challenges our hearts. I pray, Lord, that there are people here who are considering and contemplating, who want all that you have for them in their lives, who are yielding everything to you right now. Would you speak? Would you direct? Would you teach? Would you strengthen a resolve and a conviction? I pray, Lord, even as we pray right now, that you would be working among us. For your glory, for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.